Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. One now. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Welcome to another episode, episode 49 in fact, of the Saints FC podcast. And um, today's an interesting day, I think kind of the agenda for the podcast has gone out the window and we've rewritten a new agenda. Um, Obviously, if you want to get in contact with us, let us know your thoughts about what we're going to be discussing tonight, which will mainly focus probably around Les Reed being sacked or moved on as the Vice Chairman of Football at Saints. Um, you can do so by emailing us, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or getting us on Twitter at saintsfcpodcast. Um, to my left tonight, I have James, my brother with me. Hello, James, how's it going? Hi, I'm doing good. Excellent. Well, should we just cut straight to the chase here? Because I don't think we want to talk about Man City result particularly um, too much. Uh, we will get to that a little bit later on. We'll we'll probably keep that bit quite short. Um, but uh, we're recording today on the eighth of November, and uh, this afternoon we heard the news, or maybe it was about lunchtime. We heard the news that uh, Les Reed, who uh, was the vice chairman for football at Southampton Football Club, had been sacked um, alongside him, Martin Hunter who's the technical director for football affairs, um, has also uh, been moved on as well. And um, it's funny because when we were preparing for this podcast, we were actually thinking, well, should we do a little bit of a look at some of the rumours about who might be coming in to replace Mark Hughes uh, coming in? Um, We were perhaps anticipating that it might be Hughes' job who would be on the line. Uh, But Les Reed has gone. And I, I know a lot of Saints fans have been suggesting that he should have gone quite a while um but i i don't know james i mean should we just start with why is it important uh that saints fans should care about the fact that les reed has been sacked okay well um i guess well he's the he's been the sort of head of football head of football development like sporting director and then year or so ago became vice chairman which sounds like a bigger uh, promotion financially even though it probably was just the same job um and yeah and he i guess was responsible for a lot of the hiring of the scouting people hire, like acquisition of players acquisition of managers and i guess all of that feeds into the actual who's actually running the football side of the club and um, what's going to happen so I think he's he was it's like a key role and one that um most Premier League clubs and even clubs all around Europe will have a will have a head of football operations or sporting you know, there's a whole bunch of titles for the same job really. It's the person who's running the football show. 
So, I mean, I, I was asking, you know, does it matter or is it, you know, just literally rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? You know, you're doing that as the ship's going to sink. Um, I mean, certainly the good ship Southampton is a sinking ship at the moment. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this is, is down to the fact that basically in the Premier League, unless you're moving forward, you, you know, you have to take a few steps forward even just to stay still. And it's clear from the Ralph Kruger interview that we've mentioned before on this podcast uh, that he did in the Daily Echo last year that Saints and the Southampton Way, which you know we were sold as this kind of very progressive, forward-looking, ambitious club strategy, had kind of changed somewhat in its outlook and, and become a kind of like, well, you know, we want to cement our position where we are, which was, you know, top half of the table, Premier League side, flirting with Europe, which is fine. But actually to do that, you, you do need to move forward. But I suppose, I mean, there may be some listeners who don't necessarily know that much about Les Reed. Um, you know, you, you'll know about the players, you know about the managers. There'll be lots that probably even know more about Les Reed than us. But just to give a bit of context, he, he joined the Saints in 2010 when Nicola Cortese was uh, the chairman of the club under the ownership of Marcus Lieber. And uh, Nicholas Cortese set this kind of very, very ambitious strategy for the club. As chairman, we had the five-year plan to get back up into the Premier League, which in the end only took three years. Um, and then, you know, he announced that his next plan was to get us into the Champions League, which we never quite got there. But we did, you know, we got to, um, you know, three points off qualifying for the Champions League back in 2015, I think it was, 2015, 16. Um but in that time, Les Reed has held a few different positions in Southampton and he was responsible for a lot of the recruitment, for managing the academy. Um, and there are some questions over how much he had to do with recruitment of certain players and with certain managers. Um, so I think it was Cortese that kind of thought Adkins would be the right man, but Les Reed would certainly would have been involved in that as, as well, I think. Um, and then we also have the situation with um, Pochettino, although Pochettino was famously actually scouted uh, by one of Saints football scouts who was going to watch um, Coutinho, um, who was playing for Pochettino at the time at Espanyol and told the club, actually, you need to come down and have a look at this playing style. It's really interesting what this guy's doing at the club. And that's how I ended up with Pochettino. Um, Les Reed was also involved in the appointment of uh, Ronald Koeman, which was a fantastic success for Koeman and the club. You know, it went really, really well. And then Puel, which was, you know, okay, moderately successful, but sacked after a year. So, you know, uh, overall, I think, you know, if the club aren't happy with someone after a year, that's that's going to be deemed as a failure. Pellegrino, out and out failure uh, for the club. And then um, Mark Hughes as well, who kept us up and is a good friend of Les Reed, has known Les Reed for a long time, did his FA coaching badges whilst Les Reed was in charge at the FA. So, yeah, he is very much involved. He's always there at the photo opportunities when it comes to the transfers, um, although I bet he'd kind of wish he could bury some of those transfer photographs now with you know, some of the kind of slightly less successful ones. And, but there are some questions about, you know, how much was Les Reed to do with these transfers and how much was to do with the the managers so I mean Pochettino do we do we credit Les Reed with that or do we credit the scout who is watching Coutinho or do we credit Cortese um it's it's hard to know what goes on in the upper echelons of a football club but certainly it's a very very important role 
Yeah, well, I think I think you've got to say that Les Reed and his position must have at least had a say. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff's down to the person who fa- finds the person, but then it's still down to Les Reed's decision of, I'm sure there was a bunch of managers and and he was, him and Cortese were essentially picked. Um, Pochettino, you know, apparently he was the one that brought in Kuman, which again is a, a good manager. And, and even Claude Poole, um, has has at least proven his competency within the Premier League, both at, at our at our club and at um and at Leicester. So I think he's and the fact that he is in in the photo whenever we sign a player is almost his assertion that this is my player. This is this is what I'm doing as my job. So you've got to assume that he he had a hand in in everything, including like the black box system, the new training facilities all of those improvements that probably took us ahead of many Premier League clubs. And I think that's one of the things you have to think about where he did do a good job for us is that um, up in, probably up until a couple of seasons ago, we were flying high and a lot of that development works probably down to the background work of bringing in the right managers, bringing in the right many of the right players, although obviously you know some of them didn't weren't as good but we still brought in some excellent football players Virgil van Dijk Victor Anyama uh, the list goes on Alderweireld um, and so you, you've got to see that think that he did do a good job during that period and then about you know two years ago you can almost say that's like there was a there's a change well, maybe not even a change but a fact that we sort of stopped improving and I think that's the thing he was he's with us been with us for eight years and six of four or five of those years there's you can see definite progress new facilities new systems new managers new styles of playing that really pushed our club forward new signings as well and then but then in the last two seasons I think you can you can see it as like a lot of the other Premier League clubs caught up a lot of Premier League clubs using the similar model that we do and I guess especially in the sort of recruitment area, you could certainly say in the last two years, we're in a much more crowded marketplace because all of these other clubs are using similar types of assessments, probably even as good or better because they've developed them a few years later. So they've taken, they've said, let's copy the Southampton model, but let's put in this extra bit that's um, of due, dili- due diligence. And maybe under Les Reed, he was like, well, we've got, we've done our bit. We've, we've done our development um surely uh surely that's surely that's enough and i think that's probably where you're sort of seeing a change like this is necessary where it's like he's almost too comfortable in the role and he's almost too yeah like has got i mean it's hard to say lazy because i imagine he's been very busy but like complacent that we are doing enough and maybe we need to move on to you know improving advertising and stuff like that which um which seems to be the only positive announcements coming out of the club yeah I, i'm going to go back to um an article which was written by gary neville for the daily telegraph and uh, it came out in january tw- 2015 and i'm going to read it verbatim here to me the manager was the ultimate authority on all football club matters but talking this week to Les Reed, who has overall control at Southampton, has strengthened my belief that 95% of clubs will adopt the model that has been so successful for Saints. 
Southampton, who are third in the Premier League table with 16 games to go, are all joined up from the under-7s to the first team. And Rural Koeman has coached so well. I spoke to read about the club's black box, a darkened room he compares to the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, and why preparing in advance for the loss of a manager is just as important as planning which players to buy. So, I mean, this is not long ago, really. Um, you know, four years ago, we were being lauded as, you know, this futuristic Starship Enterprise. I mean, I suppose the, the really alarming thing is that 16 games to go, we were third in the Premier League. God, that sounds like an absolute fantasy land now. Um, but you're right, you know, ba- basically, Les Reed has been at the club for eight years, and I think his position probably peaked four years ago. And then I think, you know, we can say thanks a lot, Les. It's, a, you know, it's great. We got up from League One to the Championship to the Premier League. There's obviously lots of other people to thank with that. You know, obviously Nigel Adkins has a big part to play in that. Some of the players were absolutely fantastic, like Schneidlin and Lalana, um, you know, Lambert, you know, Cortese, who is the chairman. You know, all of these people kind of helped us bring us up. And then, you know... Pochettino worked so well, the players coming through, you know, which Pochettino kind of bled the youth through into the team was fantastic. And, you know, then he undoubtedly got the appointment of Ronald Koeman right. But then it's also in the Ronald Koeman era that things start to go wrong for Les Reed, I think. So um, when Saints lost Ronald Koeman to Everton, Apparently, Koeman was, you know, very interested in seeing out the rest of his contract. He had a year to go on his contract. But when Everton came in for him, Southampton didn't do much to stop him leaving. And what I've heard is that, you know, Ronald Koeman was a big personality. He was also kind of an older football style man. He wanted more control in things. You know, he wanted more control in transfers. Okay, Koeman obviously got people like... Um, Pella and Tadic, right? Who are the players that he brought over from Holland? He also brought in Cuco Martina, Jordi Classy as well, and and Stecklenberg, I, I suppose as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you can see that Kuman wanted to get involved in the transfers, and that didn't sit well with Les Reed, is what I've heard from kind of people close to the club, and so that's why you know when you know when when Everton came in for Kuman, we didn't work particularly hard, or Les Reed didn't work particularly hard to keep him. And they were confident in themselves that they could get a manager, especially a manager that was used to working with a director of football and not having too much of a say other than the coaching, who could come in, be a bit quieter, be a bit more placid, you know, fit into a system which Les Reed wanted to have working, which obviously he believed very strongly that worked. You know, you can see from the interview that he, or the conversations he's had with Gary Neville that, you know, he was very a, a big believer in that system and also a believer that the manager didn't matter too much. As long as the system was right, you could replace the manager and it would work. And then I think with Claude Puel is where it started to go wrong. Claude Puel, I think, was a, a yes man for Les Reed. Um, but really the biggest problem for the fans was what they were seeing on the pitch. You know, under Puel, we did pretty well. We got to the final of the AFL Cup. That was great. We had some fantastic performances, but we also saw Saints regress a bit in terms of the intensity of the performance in terms of the attacking pressing football that we'd got used to under uh, you know Koeman, Pochettino and Adkins and, and basically what been a run of like six really exciting thrilling seasons to be a Saints fan yeah yeah and I think that's a that's sort of a, a point there is that like 
Paul came in and started playing a very what you almost instantly saw as a very defensive style of football where we wouldn't we wouldn't concede, but then we wouldn't really, and but it's sort of like we wouldn't concede, but then and but hope to score the goal that pushed it over the end, and that's sort of what we did. And you know we had an excellent um, excellent defence back then with Virgil Van Dijk that could deliver on that, and then the second. I think certainly last season when Virgil left, that that whole methodology is completely gone because you you miss out on this world class defender who's cleaning up all of the a lot of the errors and probably saving us a, a goal a game. Um, and I think that's sort of the thing is like he's he's sort of started. I think in the last two years, Les Reed has been sort of um, you know sitting back on his reputation and uh and reading his own own excellent reviews you know like sort of like a an aging um uh like direct film director who's like made a couple of classics and is now like well it doesn't now it's just my vision i'm going to ignore everything else i'm not going to think about improving on stuff because my vision's perfect because i've done it before and it worked and i think that's that's the problem and i think that's the ultimate reason why he we've we've descended in in our like performances on the pitch and and you know the new ownership has come in and has given les reed his opportunity to sh- show that he's good enough and and he hasn't has obviously hasn't impressed them because they've they've got rid of him this week yes yeah, so it's an interesting point because i think you know <clears throat> after cortese left and Kruger was brought in and you know he has his uh, ice hockey background and, and I think they accepted that they didn't know much about football so they needed someone up there with that knowledge of football and um the Les Reed was the the man that got the job which is absolutely fair enough because at the time you know everything that he'd done w- had been a, a great success but I think you know as you move further upstairs you do become distanced from you know, what's going on on the ground, what's the innovative things. And I, I can see it in my own work. I work in higher education and um, I went to a conference earlier this week, which is all about, you know, policy in higher education. And I was listening to people who are much more senior than me and they're talking about stuff like, oh, we've got this great methodology for doing something. And just thinking, actually, well, on the ground, we're kind of already, we already do stuff like that. You know, a younger, more you know dynamic team will be doing the, those things and so I think you know Les Reed you move further up he got further away from the action and, and perhaps he was kind of less influential I, I suppose another thing which is quite interesting is um you know I, I was kind of expecting that Saints would maybe act a bit quicker in terms of performances this season um and they they obviously have but that's been uh you know Les Reed and, and uh, uh Paul is it Paul Hunter um who Martin Hunter uh, who've gone rather than the manager um, but you know Lesley definitely brought in Mark Hughes uh, Mark Hughes is quite bullish though in his press conference today he doesn't seem to think that his job is under threat you know when I first read the news that Les Reed was going I thought well is it going to be Les Reed then a few others and then we're going to appoint a new director of football who's then going to appoint the next manager and that's all going to happen quite quickly um but Hughes doesn't seem to to think so. You know, it's interesting the way that Hughes was talking in his press conference 
Um, and the BBC kind of like picked up that Hughes wants to be more involved in transfers. He feels that his football knowledge is clearly better than Les Reed's football knowledge. And although he didn't say that explicitly, you can read between the lines there. Um, and, it, you know, and it's obvious the fact that Armstrong is not in the first team, the fact that Vestergaard is not in the first team, the fact that Elianusi is kind of flitting between being in and out of the first team. Um it doesn't look like Mark Hughes is confident in the players that he's been given and told to work with. And it sounds like Mark Hughes wants to have a go at the transfer market. And I think that's probably the case that he's going to be making to Ralph Kruger at the moment. And then whoever his new boss is, that's brought in ahead of him as the director of football. Yeah. And, um, and let me read this, this um, statement that, well, this answer that Mark Hughes gave um, during his press conference today um, and it goes, my input was previously limited as I was coming in at the latter stages of what was already going on. I expect my involvement to increase going forward, and I think that it will be a good thing. I've got a lot of knowledge and understanding about what is needed to come in. So there you go. He's saying, like, I wasn't involved in signing these players. Um, I want to be involved, and I know what players I want to sign, which I think is fair because managers do. They've, you know, he's worked in the Premier League for years and. And um and has definitely watched you know probably watches more football than anyone anyone well, than than most people and and probably knows what players he wants and what the team is missing and so I guess if what he's saying there is sort of implying that we didn't sign the players in the positions that he wanted or the types of players and so so maybe that's it and it's you know it was also quite refreshing just to see because we, we watched the video before he started this and uh, of his press conference and his body language is so much more positive I mean obviously he must be much happier this week because you know yesterday everyone's speculating about him you know expecting him to win the sack race and um and speculating and bets are going in on who's going to replace him which is always very hard for a manager and so he's obviously felt that pressure lifted off but you could see that even when he was talking about the Man City result his body language he was, he was quite happy like like you know I think obviously it probably helped helped him that Man City went and smashed another club just as good as us 6-0 um, but you know it doesn't it doesn't stop the excuse that the performances have been awful but hopefully this all this will lift a cloud maybe that positivity in Mark Hughes is also being reflected in the players and we'll go out on Saturday and put in a really good performance and get the win that we desperately need. It does seem insane to imply that the sacking of a vice chairman could bring the positivity that a club needs to turn around its fortunes. But you're right. And uh, I'm trying to work out, is was Hughes feeling like he was being kind of like crushed under the weight of Les Reed? Or was it just a, oh my God, I thought that was going to be me that was made to walk the plank and it isn't, you know, I've lived to survive another day. And if I turn this around now, I've got a chance of surviving. Um, um, yeah. I imagine it's a bit of both really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's, let, let's look first at um, potential directors of football who, who we might expect to come in in place of Les Reed. And I've created my own shortlist who are all kind of quite familiar names, I, I suppose, actually. So, um, first of all, Ross Wilson. So he's currently the kind of like di director of, what's his title? His, his title is Director of Football Operations, right? So he's already a director. Um, he's kind of brought in to do recruitment. 
And he's I said, at Southampton. He's at Southampton. Yeah, so, so he's, he's the current, current guy at Southampton in charge of recruitment. But a lot of people were expecting him almost to go. And it was almost a little bit surprising that when Les Reed was got rid of, that Ross Wilson wasn't. So maybe the higher echelons of the club see something in Ross Wilson. Maybe they just haven't got around to digging out his P45. I'm not sure. I don't think he's going to be the right right person to step up into that role. And actually, the way that Saints have spoken about it in the media today, it sounds like they're going to be going outside of the club to find their next person. However, outside of the club, we have an ex-Saints um, where he was he was in charge of kind of youth and also recruitment at a time when we did incredibly well, which is Paul Mitchell. Um, he actually it was probably one of the first times that a kind of like middle management football persons transfer to a club made made the national press and that was because he moved to Tottenham Hotspur and Saints had done so well with their recruitment it made um, waves unfortunately for him his uh, working relationship with Daniel Levy was untenable and he decided to quit and he's now I think he's in charge of like youth recruitment for Red Bull Leipzig in Germany that doesn't sound like a top job like the one that we now have vacant at Saints and I wonder if perhaps we should be looking to bring him back into the fold because he clearly did very very well and I think he might be the brains behind the black box and hopefully he can continue to develop that and and make it better Um, and then the other person that I've got on my shortlist is Steve Walsh so he was the in charge of recruitment at Leicester brought in Mares, Vardy, Kante, um, went to Everton, spent 150 million pounds for Ronald Koeman and that didn't go so well, but he did buy some very good players, um, uh, but he's been sacked. So I think he's also available. But I, I think, you know, Paul Mitchell, Steve Walsh, potentially, you know, they, Les Rees kind of role would be a step up. They'd be bringing fresher ideas. Um, Paul Mitchell's still very young. He's like mid-30s. So, I mean, he, he would be my number one. Paul Mitchell would be number one on my list. Yeah, and I think um, I can't claim that I've, uh, I'm... I have expansive knowledge of sporting directors. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly a few out there. Um, the other thing probably to look at is um, probably some of these people that uh, were like like outside bets for a for like an Arsenal sporting director, someone like Patrick Vieira, who's worked at Man City, and he was he was touted he was allegedly interviewed for Arsenal's um, probably both possibly both the managerial role and the sporting director role. So maybe you could look at someone who's like that way. You've got a established, famous footballer who also has has a lot of background experience now that does something like that. Or all mo- some of these more traditional, older ones, there's certainly quite a few. I mean, fortunately, there's this, uh, this great list on Transfer Market called Available Sporting Directors. <laughs> So you can sort of skim through that and look at all these people that were like used to be at Robert Fernandez was at Barcelona left in the summer probably probably slightly out of our um our price range maybe um but you know Steve Walsh um a bunch of Italian ones Henry Stambouli who was at Montpellier um and so there's a huge number that are certainly you know someone who's unemployed is always I think in our price range. Um, so, so there's all these choices. You know, even uh, another familiar name would be Mikel Silvestro, who was at Stade Rene. I, I, I imagine we won't guess who's going to be brought in, but as soon as they are, we'll be 
all over every th- single thing that's been written about them as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, I I expect it'll probably be a I expect it'll probably be someone older, someone who's got Premier League experience, um, or maybe something something a little bit more far field like. Like, you know, looking at one of these clubs like FC Schalke, Red Bull Leipzig, um, Red Bull Salzburg, a similar, both those Red Bull clubs are, are certainly um, playing in and working in a way that um, where they really do take up, take a lot of notice. Leipzig has pushed their way up through the German league and is doing well in the, in the Bundesliga and so like, and Salzburg has established them as the, one of these rare clubs that outside of the main leagues can still perform well in Europe and also produced an excellent p- brought player like Sadio Mane into Europe and then we picked him out for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some interesting models from around and about the world and I, I'm not entirely sure whether it's kind of like Les Reed who's in charge of those kind of progressive thinking and looking, you know, further outside the UK. Um, would you trust like Ralph Kruger to kind of pick your next director of football? It could be quite a tough thing for someone like him him to choose. You know, who do you get involved in the recruitment of that? I mean, I, I also wonder if perhaps we might be looking at a combination of potentially a manager and a director of football or we bring in a director of football who's very closely linked to a particular manager and then that might be the kind of whole thinking that it's almost like a a double a double appointment that that is coming up I mean one of the I mean there was that article earlier this week I think it was in the express or some other kind of uh red top of ill ill repute that um was touting that Moyes and Allardyce uh, where they're kind of like the front runners for the next Saints job. Uh, you know, maybe if there was some truth in that, that could have been what, what cost Les Reed his job, you know, but whereas actually I think we really need to be looking at some kind of much more interesting sorts of managers. Um, Jardim, who's available from Monaco, looks like a cert- certainly interesting um, option. The fact that Bielsa was available in the summer and didn't come to Saints is upset me and I've talked about this on the cloud on the pot on the podcast before and then seeing this kind of video of the Leeds players tracking back um last week and just looking at that sort of commitment that he manages to get out of his players just uh, it's like absolute fantasy world to imagine Bielsa managing our, our club it, it may not always necessarily work with the results but I think if Saints fans saw attacking football and total commitment from the players, that would that would be such a positive, refreshing thing to see. And I think with Jardim, he, he achieved some brilliant things at Monaco, but also worked a lot with youth, brought some really talented young players um, through. I mean, Kylian Mbappe being the most famous example of that. Um, you know, and he got a tune out of uh, Guido Carrillo as well, didn't he? Got some goals out of him, and uh, and he and he plays four four two. So it's a style that we're familiar with, but it's also attacking, it's also pressing, and he, he bleeds youth. And and that's the sort of person I'd want in charge of the footballing side of things in the future. Maybe we might see a combination of one of those types coming in. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of um. Yeah, I mean that's I mean I think that's what everyone sort of hoping for is a is a distinct change in our style of play because we were playing this great pressing football um, under Posticino we're playing similar type of pressing football but also 
um, a type of football where we'd also change it up, like under Ronald Koeman, where we seemed to go out with with like an A plan and a B plan, and and I think obviously the the excellent the players we had then Tadic, Mane, um, Long gave loads of pace that allowed it and. Uh, Pella gave us loads of pace to actually deliver that type of thing. And I think that's one of the things that's stru- we're struggling with at the moment is that we don't have we sort of have a one-dimensional form of play and that's and that sort of means it, it seems to make it really easy for other clubs to read us. And that's that's what I always find is that we 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 lack ideas especially going back last season as well as there was there never seemed to be a plan b and i think one of mark hughes's failings is that he doesn't react as fast as i'd as i'd want him to i, I was at the the chelsea game where we went two nil up and and conceded three goals and mark you could see on the sidelines mark hughes was was deciding to make changes once the the first chelsea goal went in but hadn't actually managed to change the style of play by the time the third goal had gone in and okay they were they went in quite fast but you'd like you'd expect him to like get them to change like do something quickly because you could see the game was turning and um and suddenly i yeah i find sometimes we we struggle to respond to that um but hopefully this you know a new technical director will probably bring in a new manager but for for Mark Hughes's benefit, that means he's got, you know, probably six, seven, at least probably till January, enough time to put his stamp on what players he wants to bring in in January, get those winter games out of the way, and and get gives him gives him time to actually deliver. Like we, you know, we all want him to deliver. We all want to to win these games, and we certainly don't see that we're too far off that. Certainly, um, we seem to have enough chances against at least the 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 lower teams in the league to to win these games we're just not converting them so hopefully hopefully that might change yeah i, I mean i i still think with Hughes like there has been a marked improvement in terms of the performances from the players since uh, pellegrino left the lack of confidence the mistakes they're all still there and obviously it'd be great to see him get those sorted um and you know, looking at kind of like David Moyes or Sam Allardyce, it just that's not what I want our football club to become. I don't. In the nineties, we used to sack our manager every single year, scrape ourselves outside of relegation. We had like two great years with Alan Ball, but I just I don't want us to be doing that again and again and again and again and again because it's just depressing. And uh, you know, the whole kind of like exciting young managers, different styles that's that's the way i hope that we go next time with our next appointment anyway i I think we've probably talked enough about managers directors of football vice chairman so unfortunately that brings us to the review of the last game um which was manchester city six southampton one um my laptop managed to kind of remind me of that as i opened it up it still played me the the kind of cuts to the studio of like so manchester city six southampton one what do we think about that to the panel so you know even my laptop's torn to me not managed to open up against this but it was it was pretty abysmal i mean manchester city are a phenomenal side but we were just lambs to a slaughter weren't we yeah we were i mean what is like 16 17 minutes and suddenly the game's beyond us like immediately and 
and it's this thing where they could they could just get the ball into our box and make a pass and and that would you know i think they probably did that at least 12 times in the match and so you you're looking at it going well yeah no wonder they scored so many goals against us and it's something that i'd really like to see us doing a lot more is actually trying to get into that get into the box down at the byline and putting a ball across the six yard box where there's someone there I think we sometimes do it when there's no one there or we find get one person into the box and there's nothing there um so yeah it was I mean it was a disappointing performance there were some some brief glimpses of of good pressure from us like I mean the pass that Bertrand played through to Danny Ings to win the penalty was was excellent um but any time where it looked like we were we sort of climbed our way back into the game a bit, Man City would just take the ball down the other end of the pitch and score again. Um, so yeah, it was, it was disappointing. It was painful. I mean, I personally felt um, impressed with myself for watching the whole thing all the way through. And I imagine lots of other people felt the same way. And lots of other people can't blame you for switching off either. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. I mean, I don't think... I went into the game thinking we could we could really outperform Man City. Maybe, I mean, we did last season. We did put in two very good performances against them, and, and I sort of this sort of shows sort of an example of where we've slipped away, and that we're we're almost e- more easily turned over by the top teams because last day of the season we certainly, I mean, we certainly thought we deserved to draw. Same at Man City. Um, earlier in the season, last season, where we we lost two one, I think, where we scored against them, but we still we still um, it was it was beyond us again. Two late goals, same old story. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's tough, but I can't. You know, it it would have been nice to have lost by less, but but you know, Man City are better than us, and it would have been hard to expect anything more. I think well, one of the things that I noticed on that is just that there's literally no position on the pitch where we have a better player than Manchester City. They are better than us in every single element. Um, you know, from you know every single position on the eleven, their bench is obviously incredible. Um, I was one of the kind of treacherous Saints fans that made Sterling their captain in their fancy team because I expected full well that he would get some goals and get quite a lot of points. Um, yeah, was, but you know, the, some of the goals were avoidable as well, though. It's not like all six goals were just pure Man City beautiful football. I mean, Cedric was culpable for one of the goals where he didn't like manage to chaperone, uh, shepherd the ball off the pitch. And, um, it was it was just terrible, and then there was that kind of like clip which was doing the rounds on Twitter of and in, in the football circles of like Manchester City making about twenty passes within our box, which is just absolutely shocking. You know, where's the person just going no and just running in and hoofing it out? Sometimes you need someone to just take control, and that that just didn't happen. But um, I guess that's the interesting thing about kind of comparing this season to last season. It's like Pellegrino had us more competitive at the Etihad last season. The fact that we were still in the game, you know, right until the last minute until they, they got their kind of like 97th minute winner. Um, whereas this season, we're more positive in the attacking football. We, we do play some slightly more attractive football at times, but we're much, much more vulnerable as well. Um, and, and also, you know, just thinking about 
I remember the the Saints uh, Twitter kind of said, "Oh yeah, what are your predictions for the game to the Saints fans?" And everyone was responding with three nil, four nil, five nil, six nil, seven nil. You know, nobody expected Saints to score a goal. Everyone expected us to concede multiple goals, and that's from your fan base. That's from the people that believe and pay hundreds and thousands of pounds every year to to watch the club and. That is is a very kind of like sad indictment, and, and I'm sure that kind of is one of the contributing factors to Les Les Reed going. I don't know if there's anything more to say about the Man City game other than we were well beaten by a much better side. I don't think we've learned anything that we didn't know about the Saints side from that. So really, we need to start to look forward to the weekend and our match against Watford, who had a very very impressive start to the season. They've had a little bit of a wobble, but they're certainly looking better than Saints at the moment. Yeah, they are. Um, but uh, hopefully, um, well, most teams are looking better than Saints, to be honest. Um, so it's, it's very hard to to put that as a judgment. Otherwise, we'll, we'll never appear at a game expecting to win it. Um, but um, there, I think we could look at you know we could look at the performances against Bournemouth and. Newcastle and say well we can control the game so if we can do that against Watford and get the get the fans behind them get get some pressure on the players and some support behind them I think we can certainly uh, control the game and um and maybe get some get a result you know get the goals we need like against Bournemouth and against Newcastle that's all we needed was one of those few chances that we created where it should have gone in the back of the net and just get that ball in the back of the net and I think I think we've got that chance with Watford. They're missing a key player, so hopefully that'll um, reduce their their pressure on us and hopefully give us a bit more space. And yeah, and hopefully we'll turn out and our players will respond to the disappointing performance on uh, on Saturday on Sunday and uh, deliver the performance that we all we all want and deserve. I think. Do you think the players were kind of hoping that the big announcement this week might have been about Hughes and and not about you know Les Reed? I mean, it's it's interesting to see how the players react about Les Reed, um, whereas Hughes looked quite buoyed by the news in a way, which you know we don't know whether that's you know the fact that Les Reed was gone or the fact it just wasn't him. Um, but I mean, can can we expect to see the players lift their performances? Obviously, every week we see. Um, and social media from the press releases, they reel out one player saying, oh yeah, it's all going to be different this week, get behind us and we'll show a really good performance and then week in, week out, we see another terrible performance. Is it coming this weekend? Is this is this the moment? Can we have some belief? Do the changes at the top of the club make any difference to the players? Is it going to be, they're going to feel a whole load of drive? They're going to do this one you know, to celebrate Les Reed being sacked. It sounds insane. Um. Yeah. Well, I hope so because we really need we really need a win. Um. And I think we we should be able to like we should be able to believe the players should you know they should they know they need to respond to 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 their to that performance. Um. I think certainly there's a few there's sort of an an atmosphere around the players where they it almost like they don't expect to 
to to get a win and like it's it's almost like they just need that little bit like a victory to to create that turning point and create some like positivity to to build upon and um you know it's 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 got to happen at some point you know some you know we at some point the ball's got to hit one of our players and bounce in and actually uh go into their net rather than our own you know um and 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 I'm I think Watford's the opportunity and then we've got I think we've got another uh, international break so I think it we really need a big performance out of them because we know a few of them won't be won't be playing certainly the the you know I don't think anyone's been called up to the England squad apart from maybe McCarthy or maybe that hasn't even been called up that hasn't even been announced but um you know we we need big performance out of them and uh yeah I I really want them to deliver it. and hopefully you know Mark Hughes is going to go into that training ground um tomorrow and just be like come on like give me some passion you know you know i think you know you look at a player like hoiberg and you can see he he really lives it and and breathes it and and you know he's there to to perform on the pitch and you can see his frustration when some of the other players on the pitch don't seem to have the same attitude or the same um put in the same amount of effort as he does and he'll come back out at the after the game like he did against Man City and say, say, you know, we weren't good enough and we need to do better and and give that honest appraisal, which um to be honest, I think is uh is what a a you know, real leader on the pitch should do and um and and why I I'm gonna wave my flag at to, to be Hoiberg should become the captain because I, I really do think he he although he's he is a bit young, he's he's got that got that real drive and passion to like actually g up the players and go like come on let's do this certainly more so than it seems that ryan bertrand has um you know ryan bertrand he's kind of like a solid six out of ten every week and yeah he's a good player but he's not showing that same level of passion that hoiberg does maybe we should just make hoiberg the manager for a day and see what happens um but yeah i I mean looking at this I, i don't actually expect us to beat Watford I think we'll probably lose and then with the international break coming on that's quite a long time for Hughes to survive this axe which is obviously swinging around uh, in some areas at the moment and Staplewood um, I wonder if we might be doing another podcast next week and talking about our next recruitment in, in that area I really really hope that we beat Watford though I'd just much rather just see us turn it around than have more failures, more changes. Um, even though Hughes wouldn't have been my man, I was very pleased that he kept us up. He probably did deserve to get an extension to the contract, maybe not the full three years, but um, you know, that, let's see what happens. Um, Say, so I don't know if we've got anything else. I suppose there's that, yeah, predictions for Watford. Oh, I'm going to say that we're going to lose 1-0. Um, I'm well. Then I'm gonna do the flip side and do you know that Newcastle beat Watford at the weekend, right? So if Newcastle Newcastle were awful, so if they manage to beat Watford, surely we can we can like you know beat Watford too, right? So I'm gonna go with uh, a two-one victory where we we go behind and then we come back and win the game and and blow all expectation i'm sorry about the slight tone of sarcasm here because it's it's 
I just I just want I really want to see us like do a really good performance where you can actually watch the game and be happy you know go and watch match of the day and just sit through all of the all the 60 minutes of other teams playing before our game comes on because you know oh well it doesn't matter because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna watch us win again that'd be great um yeah so that's what i think personally i, th- I think we it's it's gotta come because because we, we 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 need it yeah so blood and guts 2-1 victory uh, for James. I suppose actually there is one uh, thing that I did want to um, mention before the end, and that's the plaque which is going up on the Itchen stand, which commemorates, it was kind of on the 100-year commemoration of Armistice Day. And um, thinking about all of those Southampton players and ex-players who would have been very young at the time and, you know, fighting in the First World War and losing their lives. And then eventually the the peace which came uh, across Europe, and um, fantastic. You know we should be celebrating. You know that that peace which came, um, but also remembering the the lives lost of all of those ex saints. And there is a actually a very good article on the BBC. So for those of you who are interested um, in football, you might want to read. I think it's called the Last Pass. It's like a long read on the BBC website. Very very interesting. Focuses in on a young eighteen nineteen year old chap who was playing. Um, for Sunderland and then obviously went out to fight in the First World War and kind of like what that would have been for young men at the time. Um, so definitely worth a read and obviously, um, you know, we'll, we'll be thinking of those ex-saints who died, you know, a hundred years ago now um, in the First World War. Um, I did have an email to read out. I can't remember your name and my Microsoft Surface has crashed and won't turn back on again. Um, I wouldn't actually recommend a Microsoft Surface. It's alongside my 2008 MacBook, which is way more reliable. Um, uh, So anyway, there we go. That's what I used. I I record on the 2008 MacBook and the Surface has my kind of like notes for the episode and the Surface doesn't work and the MacBook is still going strong and still recording this. but anyway, if you do want to email in, thank you for your emails. Thank you for, for your tweets. It's at Saints FC Podcast on Twitter and Saints FC Podcast at gmail.com. Um, that's enough for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and let's hope that we have a victory at the weekend. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>